you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 13. We'll be there in just a few moments, but John chapter 13. But as you're turning there, I need to tell you this week, uh, there were some songs that were stuck in my head that was kind of a reminder of the past. Like I remember when I was a little kid in our church, we got to sing this musical program that was called We Like Sheep. Now I got to sing it twice because in elementary, my church sang it. And then my family moved like an hour and a half away and my new church sang it again. And so like I remember doing this and in this program, everyone is dressed up as sheep. All right. And then there is someone that is the shepherd representing Jesus. And so when I was in second or third grade, I was part of the choir and we were all dressed up as sheep. But then, you know what? I was in seventh grade. I was too old to be part of the program, except they needed someone a little bit older to be Jesus. And so that got to be me. All right. And so that was the first time that they painted this beard on me. And my dad said, he kind of looks good with a beard and kind of looked like him. So he's like, I think I'm going to grow a beard. And it came in all gray. And he said, it's gone. So he, he did that. But like in this, this skit, you know, this, this uh, musical, I remember just watching it this week because I'm like, I want to know some of the words of these songs again, like certain ones I remembered. And so the song we like sheep is all about, we like sheep because sheep is what we are. And you think about that's what scripture calls us as followers of Christ. There was a song in there that talks about the Shepherd's Hall of Fame, and it goes through the Bible and all these different shepherds and how great they are. And if we only knew the name of our shepherd, we would put him in the Shepherd's Hall of Fame because, again, they haven't mentioned that his name is Jesus, but the whole reference is that, man, our shepherd is absolutely fantastic. There was a song that's part of that that says, no matter how bad we are, the shepherd loves us, okay? And so he, he brings us home. And so I remember that song. Um, there's a song about he never falls asleep counting sheep. And so he begins one, two, three, and the whole song in the middle of it, he's counting. And by the end, all the sheep have fallen asleep. And yet the shepherd is still watching over them. At the end though, he only gets to 99. One of them is missing. His name is Grimy. And basically he goes off to find the one. And while that's going on, all the other sheep are, are thinking about things and understanding again who the shepherd is. And when, they br when he brings him back, we sing this song called Celebrate. Celebrate the good things he has done, the shepherd that we have. But then there's one song that actually made me start thinking about all this. Because it, it went something like this. <clears throat> said, love one another. He said, love one another. He said, love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you are mine. If you have loved one another all the time. Now, there's a lot less words or a lot worse words that could be stuck in your head, you know, and you're thinking about and all that kind of stuff. Okay, no. But anyway... This song comes to my mind quite often because it comes straight from scripture. And if you turned to John chapter 13, go to verse 34, all right? Verses 34 and 35 of what John records for us, Jesus's words say this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so here's this text. Jesus says, okay, I really want you to be able to love other people. And if you do this, people will know that you are my followers. They will come to know me this way. He didn't say, hey, disciples, this is how you are going to convert everyone. I want you to wear all sorts of apparel that points to me. Like here's these little bracelets. We'll put like WWJD. And I want you to wear like these shirts that have like a cross on them or things like that. Or you can imagine the disciples going, hey, look at my tunic. I got like a Jesus fish on the back or whatever. Or like, here's my sandals. And the bottom of one of them is going to say J and the other one's going to say C. So when I'm stepping in the dirt and the sand, like people are going to say J, C, J, C. And they're going to ask what that is. Like all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> now I say that. 
In no way am I telling you that wearing anything kind of Christian is wrong. Okay? I am not saying that whatsoever. In fact, it's good to be able to do that. It's good to be able to wear things for our church of when people are asking, hey, what is this? But what I am telling you is that's not the way that Jesus said, this is what's going to win people. This is how people are going to know that you are a follower of me. He also didn't say, hey, this is how they're going to know that you're a follower of me. If, like, we have arguments over strict interpretations of every word that I say. And so I think it'd be a great idea if we like divide into groups and let's call them denominations and let's have like lots and lots of arguments over a lot of things that really aren't the main thing. And that's what people will then know us for. Like I imagine if that gets set up that way, that people will come running to follow after me. That's not what Jesus said either. It's important to know scripture and let our lives be lived by that. But even in that, how do we go about those discussions? Is it by love or not? And Jesus also didn't say, hey, they're going to know that you're my disciples if you live like with this moral superiority or this self-righteous indignation where you just walk around and like, how about if you're just like have a face that shows that you're disappointed with people all the time, okay? And like, if you could like work on this sigh of disgust, this kind of like, like when someone is talking about their weekend and maybe it's not living the way that God wants around, you know, the water cooler or whatever that is at work and you're there and you just like do that sigh and walk off, I bet that will make a difference and people will come running to know who Jesus is. Like he didn't say any of those things. Instead he said, man, if you want people to know that you are a follower of me, it's gonna be defined by how you love others. And when we look at scripture, when we choose Jesus, when we become a Christ follower, it tells us that we are a new creation and the spirit himself comes inside of us. <clears throat> and then there's this process called sanctification, which basically means that our lives become to look more like his. We become holy. That's a big word, but this idea of set apart. And it's something that God does in us as we continue to follow after him and obey. Now, that in and of itself doesn't save us. We are saved by the grace of Jesus and we accept that. But then our lives continue to look more and more like his as we follow after him. And as we do that, this love that is coming inside of us, we then display to other people. And that's how that we, people will know that we're Christians. And that's how they'll understand the love of Jesus. And so we've talked about that this last couple of weeks of like loving one at a time. And two weeks ago, we said, we need to make sure we look at every single person, not just the crowds and not just myself. And last week, we talked about how God wants to work in us. And as he's doing that, then he'll work through us. So the focus of this morning's message is this, that to really love people, you must be present. To really love people, we have to be present. Now, a lot of times we hear that idea of loving people and we like it. Uh, you know, it's a great idea, but sometimes we're like, but could I love like from like my easy chair or like even the comforts of within this building? Or maybe I could love behind a keyboard or from a checkbook aspect. And, and that's the way that I can love, which is all ways that we can. Or maybe it's like just when it's convenient for me, I'd love to be able to love that aspect. But Jesus says, you know what? If you really want to love the way that I am, you have to be present among people. Now, as we're talking about this idea of presence, let me tell you four different aspects that I think he wants to use us or even grow in us as we're talking about being present. So the first is we need to be present to understand. All right. We have to be present to understand. 
I remember our first missions trip that we went to uh, Memphis quite a few years ago with our students. And one of the things that uh, the leader of that trip taught us, he said, I am going to challenge you that tomorrow when you get to know people, like when you come in contact with people that you don't know yet, take some time to sit down and one, learn their name, and two, ask them their story. Because when you do that, all of a sudden, someone's not just a number anymore. Like sometimes when people go on mission trips, they almost go in with this attitude, even if they don't mean to, but like, I'm better than you because I'm serving you. Or sometimes I'll look and go, man, it looks like your life is not all together, but mine at least is. And so we have the superiority aspect. He said, what you need to do is sit down and get to know other people. Because when you do, they're not just a number, they are a real person. And you learn what real life circumstances have got them to the point that they are right now. And so when you and I are present and we take the time to be able to do that, it, help us, it helps us to understand someone else. And when you understand where someone else has come from, you are able to love them in a way that you weren't when you didn't know any of that. It is harder to love from afar, but when we understand someone else, it helps. And so we have to be present to be able to do that. Now, the hard part of that is that takes time. Like being able to sit down and, first of all, find out someone's name, ask them, remember that. That can be difficult. But then just listening to their story. And then you've done that with one person and now another person. And so one of the difficulties, especially in our culture, of hurrying through things can be it takes time. But I can tell you that when you do that, your presence in those situations allows you to show love in a way that you wouldn't if you weren't present. Here's the second thing I would tell you about being present is that we need to be present just to listen. We need to be present to listen. And this may sound close, but the idea of us being in proximity with someone else shows them that they're important. And I want you to think about maybe you've had a situation in your life where something big was going on, or maybe it was little, but it was just frustrating. It was one of those days and you're like, I can't just do this on my own. And so you call up a friend or whatever. And even before you get the words out, they're like, I'm on my way over. Or they live so many hours away with like, hey, let's just talk. And so they're on the phone with you as long as you need. And just them being there helps you realize that you're not alone. It shows you that you're important. In fact, this last week, I kind of spent some time just thinking about when my mom had passed away a few months ago and I read through a lot of the cards that you guys sent me. I thought about the texts or the phone calls that I had gotten or people who had come over to the house. Um, I thought about those that had driven five hours to go be part of the funeral. And just the presence of people in those aspects helped me to remember just the importance that I'm not alone. And so you and I, when we are with other people, it shows them that they're important. I don't know if you know the story of Job really well from the Old Testament, but Job has a day that like none of us really would ever want to have. But in this moment of, of, of just a day, Job is there and he has a servant run up to him. He says, hey, you need to know that I was over here with all the oxen and the donkeys and we were attacked and they were taken off and I am the only servant that made it out alive to be able to come and tell you, but you need to know that all that is gone. And after that servant comes, there's another one that comes running up and says, hey, I was with all the sheep and like this fire from heaven came down and burned them all up and all the servants who were watching over the sheep, I'm the only one that escaped to come and tell you, but you need to know that all of that is gone. And then another servant right after that comes up and says, hey, we were attacked and all of the camels that you have, they're gone. And then another servant right after that comes up and says, hey, I have just been at the place where your 10 kids were. Seven sons, your three daughters, they were having the party, and this big wind came in and collapsed the house. And all 10 of your kids 
are dead. So Job is struggling with all of this, and not long afterwards, he then begins to get these sores from the top of his head all the way down to the bottom of his feet. And so some of his friends hear about this, and so they come. They come to be able to comfort, which is what we need. Now, they do come to some dumb conclusions. They basically tell Job that, hey, the reason you're going through all this is because you've sinned, which is not accurate whatsoever. But before they got to that point, they had it right with what they were doing. In Job chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says this. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their, clo- they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and for seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, here were his friends. And at the beginning, they're just simply there mourning with him. They're available. Do you need to talk? If not, here we are. And again, I think we need to be reminded that someone's presence, simply by them being there with you, man, that is huge in those moments. Now, I'll tell you, our culture, we've become a little bit more comfortable and okay with this idea of living isolated, living by ourselves. Or maybe I should actually say we have the appearance that we're okay that way. But you and I, we really were created to live in close proximity with other people. I will tell you this idea of being present, just to simply listen can be hard because we don't know what to say. Like a lot of times in these situations, someone is going through something different, difficult, and you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to say something cheesy because you've been on that side when someone tried to help you, and you're like, yeah, that didn't help at all. And so like, what do I do? Can I tell you it's okay to say a scripture? It's okay to say I'm sorry. It's okay to say I'm simply with you. And then it's okay not to say anything. And just to be with the person because you being there, available to listen if they need it, simply your presence shows them love in a way that if you weren't there. So this idea of being present, we can understand, we can also listen. Here's the third aspect of being present. We need to be present to minister. Okay, be present to actually do something. And what I mean by that is Kyle Eidelman, in his sermon series, in his book, when he talks about uh, one at a time, he says, it's hard to love someone if you are determined to keep your distance from them. Okay, like I'm going to keep you over here. It is hard to love them. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, get your hands dirty. Like occasionally it means like doing something wrong. Okay, but most of the time that's not the way we use it in our culture. When we talk about this idea of getting your hands dirty, it means I'm not just going to like watch over people and tell you this is what you need to do. I'm going to get down and I'm going to manually be there with you in the trenches doing whatever it is that needs to be done. And Jesus, he got his hands dirty. Like he was present. In fact, just about a month ago, we celebrated Christmas and this idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us. This idea of the incarnation that John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. He didn't just stay up in heaven, but he's like, this is what needs to happen. So he came to be with us. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've seen while he was here during his ministry, he sees Zacchaeus, he sees this man with leprosy, he sees Jairus and then his daughter, he sees this woman who has been bleeding and he takes time to be with them. And today I want to look at one other person that he takes time to be with, to be able to minister to them. And it's in Mark chapter five. So again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but let me give you context as you're turning there. Okay. Mark chapter five. But in Mark four, we read that the crowds are listening to him. In fact, he told the story of the soils 
that we looked at last week in Mark chapter 4. And so Jesus continues teaching almost all day. And then he tells his disciples, hey, we're going to go across the lake here. And I can only imagine his disciples going, what? Like, you realize over there is the garrison area? Like, people don't go there just for fun. Like, what are we doing going to this other side? And so you read, and in Mark chapter 4, there's quite the eventful night heading the way over there. Then they're over there for just a little while, and then they come back. You might be like, why were they there just for that little amount of time? And the answer is because of one man, because of one person. So in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance... He ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Here's Jesus seeing this man that he ends up healing. But this man who has this demon inside of him that has caused this life and this life that is full of turmoil that he is seen as an outcast, that he is dangerous to himself and to other people. And so people are avoiding him, but not Jesus. He says, I'm going because I want to be able to love this person. Now, he has the the ability to, to, to heal people from far away. He has done that, and yet he knows being present in the moment is important. And one of the ways that you'll know that God is directing your life is sometimes you will be in the vicinity of some hard to love people that God will have you there to make a difference. Now, if we're talking about this idea of being present to minister, one of the hard things about this is that it takes us out of our comfort zone. And we really like being in our comfort zone. In fact, sometimes we'll try to come up with excuses of why not to go to a certain person or why not to go to a certain place because we just don't want to take that step. And when I mean we, I mean all of us, myself included. There's times, God, I don't want to do this. I don't know what's going to happen. And yet when you and I take that step of faith, God will use it in big ways because we're able to minister in a way simply because we were present. Here's the fourth thing that I would tell you about being present. We need to be present at intersections. Be present at intersections. I don't mean where cars are crossing one, you know, one way with another, but this idea of these big moments in our life, these intersections where something is happening or a lot of different things have built up to this moment and we're trying to figure out what that next step is. What are we supposed to do? Because in the intersections of our lives, we are more open to the truth of God. We are more open to being loved because we're in this moment of a little bit of vulnerability and trying to figure out what that next step is. And so simply looking at the book of John and looking at how Jesus met people in their intersections is pretty amazing. In John chapter one, Andrew and John, they're following John the Baptist and they're looking for the Messiah. And Jesus shows up at this intersection. In John chapter three, we read about Nicodemus and he has spiritual questions. He's like, hey, what are you or who are you? And what does this mean? Man, anytime there's spiritual questions that someone has, that is an open door, an intersection that we can use. In John chapter four, we see this woman at the well and she has this past 
I'm sure she is feeling looked down upon by everyone in her town, maybe even the shame that she's feeling, and Jesus meets her where she's at. In John chapter 5, we see this lame man who had been hopeless and probably helpless and maybe even homeless at this point, and Jesus steps in. In John chapter 8, we read this about this woman who was caught in adultery, this trap that had been set. Man, she is a desperation. My life is maybe going to be killed, taken right now, and Jesus steps in. Chapter 9, there's this blind man who's begging on the side of the road, and Jesus meets the need. Chapter 11, there's this mourning going over Lazarus with friends and family, and Jesus comes and meets them there. In John chapter 13, there's even a good intersection. They're celebrating Passover and remembering what God has done. And in this moment, Jesus washes disciples' feet, saying, this is what it means to follow me. And then in John chapter 20 and 21, after Jesus has died, everyone's still mourning that, and he appears to Mary and the disciples, and even takes Peter one-on-one and forgives him for turning his back on him. You know what? None of those things happen if Jesus doesn't meet them in their intersections, where they are in their life. And so to love at intersections, we have to be present because God may want to use you. There's a story I came across this week um, by Elizabeth Sherrill. She's an author, I think up in New York, and she was at her computer working on a book, whatever it was, and she looked out her window and she saw a skunk. And it looked like it had like a cap on it, but then she realized that no, it has a yellow uh, yogurt container stuck on its head, okay? So like it had wanted to be eat that, and she just kind of watched it for a moment. She's like, huh, someone needs to help it. But then she goes back to working on her book some more. And then she looked up again, and she's like, Someone like other than me needs to help that right now. And she continues going back and working. And then she gets this kind of feeling going, you know what? I'm really the only one at this point that really can help. And so she looks up the number um, for the Department of Wildlife and she explains the situation to the guy on the other side of the phone. Says, so what are you guys going to do? And and he says, well, ma'am, you need to take the yogurt container off its head. And she's like, what? And so she's like, but what if it tries to spray me? He said, and he tries to assure her, you know what? The skunk is not going to spray you if it can't see you. And she says, well, I get that. But what about when I take the yogurt container off its head? And there's silence. To which finally the guy just says, well, try not to make the skunk feel threatened. And then that's the end of the conversation. And so she's like, okay, well, she kind of goes out in her backyard and watches the skunk for a little while. And then it begins to kind of run towards her, not at her directly because it can't see her, but she's like, okay, here she goes. And she quickly leans down and grabs that yogurt container off and then like steps back and the skunk looks at her and she looks at the skunk for about 10 seconds. They gaze at one another and then the skunk runs off. And, And Elizabeth, right after that situation, she wrote these words. She said, a timeless parable played itself out. The skunk was all those needs that I hesitate to get involved in because involvement, it takes time. And I have deadlines that I have to make. Or I probably can't do anything anyway or someone else. Well, they can handle it better than I can. Besides, involvement can be ugly in the stench. It may rub off on me. And all those things may be true. But I've got a yellow pencil holder on my desk. It's a rather scratched up one and a battered one, and it reminds me that every now and then that God answers a need with me. And you might be in a place or a position to make an impact on someone else, to love someone else 
that no one else can because you're in the right place or the right time or you have that right relationship that they may be open to. Maybe someone's moving in down the street and there's all these changes going on in their life and simply an act of kindness can make a big difference. Or maybe someone is sick. Maybe they're feeling some fear of what's going to happen. Maybe there's suffering going on and just coming alongside might open up a bridge you know, that then you can have conversation and relationship with later. Maybe someone that you know is recently separated and they're struggling with some loneliness and rejection and just coming alongside saying you're not alone makes a huge difference. Maybe someone that you know has lost their job and so they're even struggling with this identity because it's been tied to their job for so long and so there's some desperation and they're just trying to figure out what that means and you come alongside. Maybe it's you're even in the waiting room for someone else and you see someone all by themselves sitting there and it's simply, can I pray with you? You don't know them at all, but God still uses you in this intersection of their life because intersections, they can be such sacred places. If you and I, we are intentional about how we use those, God can make a big impact in the lives of that person. But I'll tell you, this idea of being present at intersections can be hard because one, we have to be ready. Like we have to be looking for those situations. How can we help? But not just ready, you also then have to be willing. Like sometimes we're ready and God says, hey, I want you to do this. You're like, I don't think so. You know, well, I don't, I'm not going to do this. But we have to be both ready and willing to be used by God in that moment. But sometimes we'll look at situations through a lens of fear or a lens of risk instead of what the possible outcome could be. Like what I mean by that is think about this idea of if you were, you know, outside your house and it is burning down. Okay, something happened, you can tell it's all going to go down, and you're sad because there's things in there that you'll never get to see again, but you're thankful because your life is here, so you're not running back in for anything. But if you flip that, you have a child that's still in the house, and there is no fireman there, anything like that, more than likely, you are going to go back in. The risk hasn't changed whatsoever, but the outcome possibility, the, the return is much greater, the idea that my child's life could be saved. And a lot of times when we're dealing with people, we look at it through this idea of fear. Like what if, you know, they reject me? Or what if they ask me a question that I really just don't know? But what if instead of looking through the lens of fear, we saw the possible outcome and we're like, okay, God, how can you change this life? How can they understand the love that you have for them in a way simply by, by me being able to love them? As a Christ follower, you and I, we have to be present to love. I want to finish with one story uh, that Beth Moore tells. She was in an airport, and as she's in this airport, she sees this, this older gentleman. He's kind of all dirty. His hair is all matted up, and at first his, her thought is, I'm just going to kind of avoid him. You know, I'm going to work on, you know, my next speech that I'm doing here, and so she goes over and works on that, but there's kind of this thing that's in her mind that the Holy Spirit, I'm saying, is it's kind of like, hey, maybe you should go over to him. She's like, I don't know. Am I supposed to witness to him? She's like, I don't know. So she continues to stay over there. And then she said she gets this feeling that I need to brush his hair. I need to brush his hair. She said, never before has the Holy Spirit told me to do that and never again. But in that moment, I knew that I was supposed to go over and brush his hair. So again, she kind of fought it for a little bit, but she walks over to this gentleman and she says, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? And he looks up at her. He says, what did you say? <laughs> so she says, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? 
And he says, little lady, if you want me to hear you, you're going to have to speak up. She's been trying not to be noticed by everyone, but she just simply says, sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? And it kind of catches him off guard, but he says, well, if you'd really want to. She's like, well, I don't really want to, but you know, she's like, this is what God wants me to do. So she said, I'd be honored to do that, but I don't have a hairbrush. He said, well, I actually have one in my bag that's just down below. And so she gets on her knees, she unzips the bag, she finds the hairbrush, and she begins to brush his hair. And she said in that moment, I have never felt that kind of love for someone I didn't know in my entire life. In that moment, God was creating a love for him just simply by brushing his hair. And so she finishes doing that, and she's like, okay, this is probably where I need to to ask him about Jesus. This is what God's wanting. And so she says, sir, do you know my Jesus? And he said, I do. And that kind of caught her off guard because, again, she thought, well, God, weren't you bringing me over here to, like, tell him about Jesus? And he goes on to explain, I've actually known him as long as I've known my bride because she wouldn't let me get to know her until I got to know him. But he said, the problem is that I've recently had open heart surgery and I had to travel away for that. And she has been ill and not been able to see me. And so today I get to go home and see her. And I was just sitting here thinking, what a mess I am to get to see her. And in that moment, Beth knew why she was supposed to be there. But again, she was still like, okay, but God, I I thought you were going to have me witness in some way. And she then gets on the plane, and it's not much longer until most people are sat down that an airline hostess comes up to her with tears in her eyes. And she says, I saw what you did with that man back in the airport, and I just have to ask, why did you do that? And Beth simply said, do you know my Jesus? And she said, the love that he has displayed for me, that he has saved my life and he has continued to be with me, I am now called to give that love to other people. You and I, if we really want to love others, we have to be present, whether that's for a moment or whether that's over a period of time. We need to be able to show love in that way. We cannot do it from afar. But if we take the moment to do that, if we overcome all those hard obstacles and choose to do that, we will advance the kingdom one person at a time. Let's pray. Father, just starting out, I again just thank you for the love that you've given to us that is hard for us to grasp or imagine, and yet we are so thankful for that. God, I pray that you would help us to be present, to be able to understand and connect with others, to be able just to listen. God, help us to know when to get our hands dirty and jump in and minister. And God, help us to be ready at the intersections of people's lives. And God, none of this is to point back to us as individuals. How do we want people to know what we have that you offer the life both here and for eternity? And so as we continue praying for that one that you've placed on our hearts or our eyes are still opened, God, who is it that you want us to impact this coming week? May we follow the leading of your spirit. To you be all glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.